0: Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 23, again, as I said, we started looking at this last week, but we did not have time to finish. As Paul finishes his letter to the church at Philippi, he reminds us that all things are to be done to the glory of God. All we do, Christian, needs to be done for God's glory. Whether, therefore, you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God all still means all does it not so if you cannot do a certain activity and say I am doing this for the glory of God then you don't even have to ask should I be doing this activity the answer is no it makes it pretty simple doesn't it now there's no sin in sleeping there's no sin in resting There's no sin in a vacation. There's no sin in taking a day off. But if you're not doing it for God's glory, it can become sin. Why should we rest? Well, so that we have energy to continue to go and serve God, right? Ed was telling me about their new work schedule, 410s. That gives them an extra day off. I imagine those 410s would be hard. You're working the same schedule now, aren't you? Those four tens may be hard, but that extra day off is going to be very rewarding, is it not? I'm sure. I think that's what I'm going to start working. (laughs) Let's go ahead and read verse 14 down through the end of the chapter. Notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So we started last week looking at the gift communicated in verses 14 through 16. We saw that We are to give as unto the Lord. And then we noticed as we serve God, someone else receives a benefit for it. And Paul was saying, as you serve God, as you gave this, I yes, I received the benefit for it. We need to learn to give to those in need. As he said, communicate with my affliction. Has the idea of fellowship with my sufferings. We need to give sacrificially which the church at Philippi had definitely learned to do then in verses 17 through 19 we examined God's accounting we saw how that when you give to another ministry fruit of that work will be placed on your account we saw how as we give and support the Stalkups and the young family as souls are being saved through their ministries, that is fruit to our account. And we also notice then how God sees our gifts as a sweet-smelling savor. How that as we give, we give unto the Lord, and again the Lord is keeping account of all things. Then in verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God does not provide, it promised to provide all your wants. He's promised to provide all your needs. Having food and raiment, therewith be content. Are we happy, not happy, content with just the basic necessities of life? Or do we feel we deserve more? But he says, God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, God is not short on supply and we need to learn to just trust him turn to him ask him and he will provide so that's where we left off last week so let's go on to verse 20 glory to god now unto god and our father be glory forever and ever amen god deserves the glory for all things does he not he is the creator of all things You know, I believe part of the reason why secular humanism insists on evolution is that then it removes a creator. It removes an accountability to one who created us. Because if everything just happened by random chance, then I'm not responsible to anybody. But if we believe, and I do, that God created well, then that makes us accountable to him, doesn't it? You know, it's interesting. There are those who, in the different science, scientific fields, through their study, have come to the conclusion there is too much organization in this world, in this universe, or whatever it is that they're studying, that it could not possibly have happened by random chance. Therefore, there must be an intelligent designer, but yet some of those who will come to that conclusion will still not acknowledge God as the creator. They say, there's some intelligent designer, but we don't know who that intelligent designer is. Now, that intelligent designer could have been some aliens that came and put us here or whatever. But then that doesn't make sense because then who created those aliens? I mean, it ultimately has to come to a being greater than us. That created us. But it, I, what I find interesting is some of these scientists still will not acknowledge God because as soon as you acknowledge God, that puts an accountability upon man. And so, man, in his constant denial of wanting to be accountable, denies God even when the evidence is there. But what I do find interesting about these scientists. As God has said, the heavens declare the glory of God and firmament showeth his handiwork, that they, when they honestly evaluate creation, come to the conclusion it could not have happened by random chance. Well, that sounds like what Paul told us in Romans 1, that the creation shows the eternal power and Godhead. It shows that there is a greater being that created this world. So at least they come to that right conclusion. But here's what typically happens with many of them. If they dare publish any paper stating that there's a possibility of intelligent design, they will be ostracized by the scientific community. Now that doesn't sound like true science to me, does it it you? Because I thought science was to observe and come to conclusions of the observations, right? And so they observe, whether it be some uh, guy looking out at the stars because some guy looking under a microscope at microbiology, they all come to the same conclusion, there's too much here to have happened by random chance, and then the scientific community boots them out. That should tell you something about where our world is. It's no longer about true science, it's about their religion, because their humanism is a religion. Christian, it is important you and I and every aspect of our life is realizing God is in control. I say all this because the humanistic thinking has so permeated our society that unfortunately, sometimes it has permeated Christians' thinking as well. And so, you and I got to get rid of all that humanistic thinking and realize God is in control. You know, I've even heard Christians use the phrase Mother Nature. No, there is no Mother Nature there is the creation nature is God's creation God is the one that's in control of it so my point being is in all things you and I need to recognize God deserves glory some today will be complaining that it's raining but God deserves the glory that it's raining because boy we have certainly been dry we need the rain don't we so to God be the glory Now, it may have ruined your plans, whatever you were going to do this afternoon. But if you were a good Baptist, all you were going to do was nap anyhow. (laughs) 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 Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. God doesn't forget your labors of love. But do it for his glory. You know, it's interesting. Paul doesn't give the glory to any of the individuals at the church at Philippi. He gives the glory to God for their learning to serve and to give. Our God is an eternal, unchanging God. To God be glory forever and ever. Aren't you glad he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? That when we read about how God worked in the life of David and Daniel and Elijah and others, that he is still the same God today, we need to be careful, especially when we teach young people, that we don't teach the Bible stories as long ago and far away in a foreign land, but we teach it as this God that did these things for these individuals is the same God you serve today. We need to make it real. And stop getting this strange disconnect between the things of God and the things of this world today. You know, there again lies a problem in which has happened and permeated much of Christianity in that Christianity has become something people do, not who they are. Being a Christian is not something I do. It's not something I can turn on and turn off. It's who I am. I am a follower of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. And so it's who I am. So then Paul ends in verses 21-23 through 23 with some greetings to the saints. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. Do we greet and thank the Lord for each other. Now, I'm glad in 21st century America we greet with a handshake, not a holy kiss. Okay? Now, back in their day, they did, and there's still some countries that that's how you greet one another. But I'm glad to be here. Of course, we're in the South where it's a hug, but stick your hand out there, they'll get the point. Of course, not everybody does, they still grab you and hug you. But do we greet one another? You know, I think part of the fellowship of believers is just that fellowship time of getting together and saying, just being an encouragement to one another. I am thankful here at Freedom Baptist Church that many of the guests who have come here have said, that is a friendly church. People come up and talk to me and greet me. And I appreciate that because I know many of you like myself, are more introverted and would rather not talk to a stranger. I know, Chris, you're not. You've never met a stranger. You don't even know what that concept is. I get it. But some of us actually have met strangers, okay? (laughs) But the point being is we go out of our way. And if you're not going out of your way to make a visitor feel welcome, you need to. Go up to them. They're not going to bite. Introduce yourself. You know, you could ask them um, where they're from. You could ask them their name. You could ask them something. But get a conversation started. And I'm not saying you have to stand there and talk to them 20 minutes, okay? But at least introduce yourself. Because how do you feel when you go somewhere that you don't know anybody and nobody comes up and talks to you? Funny, my son was reminiscing about a church we visited years ago where we were having a hard time finding a place. So we were a few minutes late. And when we walked in, the ushers were like, it's full in there. We're going to have to find you a place. Hold on. And he goes and he makes a big fuss. And so he comes to this one row and he has the people move over and then he motions us in and has us seated. And, you know, I write from the word go did not feel very welcome. And then, this is no lie, when we left, it was a large uh, uh, facility that they had, and they did not have signage to let you know where anything was. So we walked out this one door, walked around the buildings to go back to where our car was, and this guy comes to the door, slams the door open, and yells at us, you know you could have come right out this door. And I'm like, you have a great day, and don't ever expect to see me again. If I find one of you treat a visitor like that, I promise you a visit to my office. (laughs) All right? And we will have a conversation about the way you treat others. And that's not unfair. Because, may I say, quite frankly, how dare you treat somebody that way? When they took their time to come and visit with us here at Freedom Baptist Church, they deserve to be treated with respect and courtesy. I'm going to say thank you for the way you treated the two young ladies that sat over here last week. None in this room agree with what they're doing and their lifestyle. I felt bad. I kind of put Chief on the spot. He didn't know how to introduce the one lady. But you all treated them with respect. You talked to them. You thanked them for being here. You made them feel welcome. Welcome enough that they stayed not just for lunch, but stayed quite a time afterward. Now, I'm not saying making them comfortable in their sin, and I think all of you realize that's not our goal, but we want them to understand that despite how they're living, we love them, and we want to see them saved, right? Because you know what? Every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. And but by the grace of God, so go I. So I thank each of you for treating them properly. I have been in churches where I promise you that would not have been done, but they would have been looked at like... Now, do I feel that inside? Yes. But you know what? I should about all sins. Should I not? So I say that to your credit. You treated them the way they deserve to be treated. You know, as I mentioned before, when this church was young, we had many churches help us out. Good News Baptist Church in, in Chesapeake, Virginia, sent a group of men down who came and painted this auditorium. And if you had seen this auditorium before, um, the walls were white and all the trim was as dark as those back doors. It wasn't bad, but I really like what we have now. And that had been that way since the place was built in the mid-80s. So it really needed a paint job. The outside of the building was, I have pictures of it, So I'm not lying to you. The the building was so bad, I was working full-time at Walmart. I invited some folks to come to church. They said, we'll be there Sunday. They drove by thinking that the church was down there at the uh, cemetery. And I said, no, no, no. And afterward, because I asked them where they were, they said, well, we drove by, but nobody was there. They drove down there. I said, no, our church is, and I explained where the building is. They go, oh, that place? I thought that was closed. It looked so horrible. That was no lie, okay? Because the paint was like peeling off and everything else. As a matter of fact, if you know Brother Doug Carriger, who used to be with Armed Forces Baptist Missions, he found out when I first got here, and he sat in my office, and he goes, Jim, this place looks terrible. I'm like, thank you, I kind of knew that already. He goes, well, here's what we're going to do. And so he contacted... Um, Good News Baptist Church, and not only did they paint this auditorium, but they painted the entire outside of the building and did some drainage work and some other things for us during that same time because water used to run in this side of the building because the sidewalk is the same height as the foundation of the building, and so the water would gather between the two and run inside. And you want to hear something else? My wife and I come in one day, and the baptistry was floating. Water in the pit that's underneath there was getting in the pit there and lifting the whole thing up out of there. And so that was quite an interesting day. I'm telling you, there was things that needed fixed. Okay? Another church came. Um, Emmanuel Baptist Church of Kings Mountain sent a group of teens here to help us with a vacation Bible school. The following year, uh, community Baptist church in, well, they're now in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania, at the time they were in Quakertown, uh, came down and helped us with another vacation Bible school. We had a church from Missouri come and helped us with what we called a New Beginning Sunday, and we handed out, I think it's three or four, maybe 5,000 invitations throughout the city. As a matter of fact, we had a few hundred left over, and the pastor was upset that we didn't hand them all out. I'm like, I think the people have worked hard enough. And we had several people come. One guy got saved. He started coming here for a while. He now goes to a different church. Through those efforts, we had another church come down, and the pastor says, uh, this was from Virginia, Albemarle Baptist Church, and he says, what do you need? Or what do you want, was his question. Not what do you need. Two different questions, so I told him what I wanted. told him I wanted a sound booth, and I wanted a library. So he had somebody we knew who was a custom cabinet maker make both of them. And their church paid for it, came and installed them for us. And they're the ones that painted the hallway. So if you don't like the blue, moving on. Thank God for it. Okay, to God be the glory. We got, to, we got the hallway painted. And my point being this, all these churches were helping because this church had a great need. But I believe because they invested in this work here, that as we see souls saved, as we disciple others, that's fruit to their account. But ultimately, none of them did it for their own glory. Every one of them did it for the glory of God. And so what you and I do in life needs to be done to the glory of God. But may I say, as we're talking about the greeting of the saints, I mentioned the work that they did, and I don't remember every one of them by name. If I did, I'd tell you. But the truth is, is, even without knowing their names, now that you know the work that has been done, you can give God the thanks for the brothers and sisters in Christ who came and helped this church get to where it is today. Now, someday in glory, you'll get to meet them all and be able to personally thank them. But how about even today, you just stop and say, Lord, thank you for those people who invested in helping Freedom Baptist Church. He says, All the saints salute you, chiefly that they that are of Caesar's household. Now, that's pretty interesting. Where's Paul at this time? He's in prison. And Paul says, the saints salute you chiefly of Caesar's household. You know, they arrest Paul for what? Preaching the gospel. Did that stop Paul from preaching the gospel? No. Matter of fact, anybody who's assigned to watching Paul, I'm sure, heard the gospel. And some got saved, some believed. Because he says, the saints greet you chiefly those of Caesar's household. Well, how did people from Caesar's household get saved? Well, because Paul's in prison there. And he's like, well, it's where God has me. You see, instead of sitting there complaining, well, God, I don't understand. I'm supposed to be da-da-da-da. And I'm not over there preaching where you want me to. And I'm not doing the blah-blah-blah. I'm blaming God. You know, God's purpose for Paul at that time was to be there so he could preach to those people and people of Caesar's household could be saved. Sometimes I think we got this concept of the will of God that I have this plan, and so this must be the plan that I will follow, and if anything ever changes, then God messed up. Paul had a plan of what he wanted to do. But were there not even times we're told in the book of Acts that Paul had a plan to go somewhere and the Holy Spirit hindered him? Now, how much sense does that make to us that Paul wants to preach the gospel to these people, but the Holy Spirit said no? Now, did the Holy Spirit say no, never? No, because we find out in history others went there. But what the Holy Spirit was saying is no, not you, Paul. And I have found this to be true in many Times in the way, especially, we treat young people of you need to know the plan of God for the rest of your life. And you know, I've even heard if God calls you to ministry and you ever do anything else the rest of your life, you're out of the will of God. I've heard all kinds of things like that, but how much sense does that really make? You know, I'll give you, for instance, many times in college, somebody would say, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be an evangelist. I'm called to be a missionary. Now, I understand God can place you in different places, and we do have uh, pastor and evangelist mentioned separately in the scriptures, okay? But what about a man like Russ Bell who pastored for years and now in his latter years is an evangelist? My point being is sometimes we, we have this plan that limits God to use us wherever he wants to use us. Paul realized the Holy Spirit can lead through circumstances that I may not necessarily like. Paul was shipwrecked, we find in the book of Acts, and so he preaches to the people there. They hear the gospel They get saved. Paul is now in prison. He's preaching the gospel there. Sometimes circumstances are beyond our control. And so instead of pointing the finger at God and saying, God, I had this plan and you messed it up. No. How about realize he deserves the glory because he's the controller of the plan. And so maybe he placed you there for a divine appointment. And instead of seeing it, too often we're busy complaining that this isn't what I had planned. Instead of seeing, this is exactly what God had planned. Do you follow what I'm saying? And Christian, we need to be careful that we don't try to pigeonhole God into something. I'll give you a personal illustration. When I graduated college, I was eager to get into the ministry. And I went to my pastor and I said, you know, I'm graduating next month and I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And he says, it's okay. Wait on the Lord. I was like, I need to be doing something. I need to go. I need to get somewhere. He goes, does a bomb go off in May when you graduate? And I jokingly, I got what he was saying, but I had to joke back with him. I said, in my mind, yes, sir, it does. And he laughed. He goes, Jim, you know better. I'm like, yes, I do. So we started, and I believe the leading of God. We were on deputation. We were going to start a a church in inner city, churches actually, several of them, in inner city Charlotte, North Carolina. You can go to any major city in America and realize many of them, we have abandoned the inner city, and most of the independent Baptist churches are on the outskirts of the city and the suburbs. And we wonder why our cities are in the shape they're in. So we started traveling. And after a year of deputation, I think we had 5% of our support. We were not very good at raising funds. But I believe, honestly, what it was is God had other plans. It was through that that I found out that there was a situation going here. Now, understand, back in 96 to 98, Susan and I were members of this church under the former pastor. I don't want to get into all the history And I'm not going to talk negatively about a man because unfortunate things happened, okay? I found out about the situation, and because he had been my pastor and he was a close friend, I came out and I visited with him. And he sat down at lunch and told me, he goes, I know I'm not qualified any longer. He said, but I invested 12 years of my life in that ministry, and I am very concerned about if I leave, what will happen? And he said, would you consider coming and being the interim pastor so that I can step down? I said, no, I can't do that because I'm headed to inner city Charlotte. Well, we left here and shortly thereafter, I had a trip that took us all the way out to Nebraska and then a detour up to Connecticut on the way home, visiting different churches along the way. And the whole time... This church was on my mind. And I kept fighting with God. I'm like, but well, we're going to inner city Charlotte to start a church. So we got back to, we were living in Shelby, North Carolina at the time. And about a week later, I approached Susan. I said, Ever since we met with Brother Rivera, I said, What well, was Lake Grove Baptist Church at the time? I said, Been on my mind. She goes, Mine too. I said, Our deputation's not going well. I said, what if God is leading us to go and interim there at Lake Road Baptist Church? I'll be honest with you, I was nervous. And I pulled my pastor aside and I said, Pastor, I said, I'm not sure, but I want to make the right choice. I need your advice. And I told him everything I just told you. He said, Jim, I've never seen anybody work so hard trying to raise funds to go on deputation to get somewhere and not be able to raise a penny as a matter of fact and i'm not trying to belay this but i really want you to understand god works and sometimes moves and we got to give god the glory no matter what okay and so i'm hoping this will be help to you um we had set up a breakfast emmanuel baptist church helped me set up this breakfast where we invited All those churches were in the suburbs of Charlotte to meet together. The church was going to pay for breakfast and I was going to present to them our ministry. And so I sent out, they sent out, helped me send out like two or three invitations to remind them. Nobody showed up. Not a single one of them showed up. And Pastor Surrett was like, I don't get this. And he even showed up to the breakfast to show his support. So anyhow, long story short, Pastor Srett told me, he goes, Jim, I believe salvaging a church is every bit as important as starting a new church. He said, if God is leading you to go interim there, he said, I'm 100% behind you. He said, maybe even more important than starting a new church because so much has already been invested in it. And if the church falls and collapses, what kind of testimony is that in that community? I thought that was very wise. So I called up the pastor and Long story, and I'm not going to get into all the details, but several months later, we finally came here as interim, and he resigned. So there was a church that we had visited in Nebraska, and I sent all these pastors of every church we had visited and all the churches that were supporting us and explained to them I was going to come here as interim. Every church who was already supporting us said, praise God, we're going to continue your support. This one pastor wrote me this nasty letter, basically calling me a thief because I had told him we were going to go to Charlotte and I changed my mind. And how dare I change my mind? God would never change his mind. I took that letter to Pastor Ogle, who was the assistant pastor at Emanuel because Pastor Surrett was busy. And I'm going to be honest, I was broken. I was really heartbroken. Brother Ogle read that. And he said, your pastor, this church, and every supporting church of you has recognized God moving in this, in this situation. He goes, why are you going to give credence to this one man who can't see that God has moved you and all those that are supporting you have agreed that God is moving you? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> But again, good advice, was it not? I say all that because of this. Let's be careful we don't try to pigeonhole somebody into just this one area of service, and that's all you can ever do. God can move, can he not? Here Paul is imprisoned, yet is able to say, there's saints in Caesar's household who greet you. I promise you prison was not Paul's plan, but it was God's plan for Paul. And if we continue with this thinking of if anything ever changes in your life, then you made a bad choice and we can't look at it as God may have redirected. Let me tell you something. I would have never found out about what was going on here and would have never had opportunity to come here with some support because this church when I got here, it was $84,000 in debt, and there were fewer members than are sitting in this room right now left. That's not a lie. And by the way, that young lady over there can verify everything I'm saying because she was here during that time, okay? And they owed $1,200 a month just on that mortgage that they had, plus utilities, plus everything else. If I didn't have that support coming in, there is no way I could have come here because most of that support was going to operate in expenses just to keep this church alive. I would have not found out about the situation if I was not on deputation. So God used me raising support to go to inner city Charlotte, and the story's not over. There's a young man who is getting ready to graduate college, Because I was working very close with Norm Johnston, who was a missions professor and ambassador. And he was talking about this ministry where we wanted to start in Charlotte. Little did I know God was raising somebody else up to actually do that work. Because the more Norm started talking about it, God laid it on this young man's heart who started Every Nation Baptist Church in Charlotte and is still going strong today. You see, folks, we just need to let the master move us where he needs us. He's the one in control of all things. And let me tell you, I tell you that story because I find it a very beautiful story. Because God moved me here, and he moved John Ike to Flesh there in Charlotte. And we were able to come here supported, see this church, get through that hard time. By the way, when this church, so we changed the name and we rechartered in March 2010, to Freedom Baptist Church, the fifth anniversary. So that would have been 2015. We paid off that $84,000. God did it, folks. And what's interesting is, so I came here in October 2008, and then they were looking for a full-time pastor, and I asked if I could be one of the applicants. And so they ran me through a four-hour grilling process. It was worse than my ordination. It was great. And then they called me to be the pastor here. Now, folks, I want you all to learn, be willing to be flexible to the will of God. Because had I insisted on going to Charlotte, oh no, 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 no. God can never change my plan because it's my plan, right? What a mess I would have made of things. So Paul is rejoicing let there are saints there in Caesar's household. To God be the glory. The gift had been communicated. God is accounting to each uh, fruit to each individual's account. God deserves the glory, and we're to greet the saints. He ends verse 23 The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And let's remember we do all for his glory by the grace of God. Let's bow for a word of prayer.